Welcome to Revolution Solution, providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. guy and we've got recurring guest patrick with us again that's right how you doing today i'm doing well how are you i can't complain streams are all up except it seems that instagram is not live uh, but i don't know how to fix that it's worked on occasion uh, but not today so for those of you listening once this goes up in the podcast we are trying to live stream podcast episodes when possible the recording schedule is never consistent but i do put out ahead of time when we're going to record on my instagram if you want to catch the live streams we are on twitch youtube and typically instagram if i can get it to work it's a bit of bit of a tricky workaround with that one so it seems to be hit or miss at the moment um but you can check out my itty bitty link lsd.addbitty.tips to see all of the links if you're interested in joining. Um, I also put all the plugs like the butcher box and the fold card affiliate links, all that stuff is in there as well. So that's like the condensed area where all of the plugs and stuff at the end of the show notes now goes at once. But to get to the meat of the episode, uh, Patrick messaged me recently wanting to do sort of a permaculture design on a hunting cabin. Um, do you want to give us some more information on that as much as you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah, the cabin was built by my father and his brother back in the mid-90s, I would say. Um, they built it by themselves. They designed it around free windows that they got. Um, and it sits on two acres of flat valley uh, and it's probably about 75% land on one side of the creek and then on the other side is is the rest of the property but a good chunk of the land is flat and already clear so there's a, a lot of potential there and we just moved back uh, to West Virginia and I'm not far from it and I'm spending a lot of time there so uh, until we find a homestead, I figured I'd put some energy into getting that place set up. Yeah, I like the idea. Um, let's see if I can pull up the, the zoomed back picture here. That one's pretty good. It's not as flat as you say, though. I'm seeing, you know, probably 18 to 24 inches of difference in height, uh just in this picture between the high and the low. Sure, there are, it's, I mean, flat's pretty subjective, so flat sure. for West Virginia. Uh, <laughs> okay, is, yeah, fair It's not like a hill, a cliff, you know, like. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that that would be, you saw pictures of the actual cabin, It's that would be called, considered a valley here. 
Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so not, I mean, probably an acre wide at our place, or maybe an acre and a half wide, is the valley. Okay. Yeah. So not not yeah. So it's, not real big. Right. Okay. That's important, though, as well, because that's probably going to limit your sun exposure. Does that valley run north to south or more east to west? It's more, oh, what is that? Um, that north to south, so yeah, that's the what back side of our property gets um, southern exposure. Um, pretty decent, but yes, it is limiting. Um, we have the the afternoon side of the property is shaded from or by first gigantic sycamore trees and then beyond the sycamore trees is the mountain so we do have limited limited sun yeah it's not like you know that's definitely going to limit your sunlight hours on the place um something important to consider with the with the idea of the solar as well um i guess if you've got a stationary system um, you're probably getting most or all of your harvest just during peak hours anyway. So I don't know that it'll make mm-hmm. a difference unless you were using a system that was really following the sun to capture as much as possible. Yeah, I, I've not, you're talking about solar tracking. Yeah. Yeah. I have to, I have to look into solar tracking, um, it wouldn't be horrible to, to build and design your own tracker, I would think. Okay. Yeah. But with I've... you know, with an Arduino or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Just a thought. Even just to, yeah, to have like a few. You know. Even just to have like a few settings, um, to where it yeah. you know maybe maybe rotates so many degrees per minute, and then you just adjust that to setting one, two, three, and four for, you know, around the solstices and equinoxes. Yeah. Something to consider. That's cool. Uh, So definitely just out the gate there, we're going to have to limit plantings to things that'll handle, you know, a maximum of, say, like five to six hours of sunlight uh, in the summer. Um, So anybody that's a real... Sun hog is probably not going to do. It's not gonna, probably not going to thrive there. Um, so just something of note. Are you're talking annuals or perennials, or both? Either way, yeah. Just any anything. I would think probably perennials. It would apply even more because it's typically going to be a bigger investment. And if they're not growing as quickly due to the limited sunlight, it's going to be a longer payoff, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. My my biggest thing is I want to do local, like West Virginia varieties. So varieties For that sure. thrive here. Um, and we do have some nurseries who, you know, would spell or sell um, apple trees that are specific for West Virginia. Um so that's kind of going to be part of my research as well, figuring out what I want to plant and if there's a, a more friendly uh, variety for this area. Yeah, um, for sure. And I, as I'm sure you know, with the, the mountains being around, you've got vastly different microclimates as you move around those oh mountains. So you definitely got to, gonna, uh, you know, if there's anybody 
friendly uh, in the valleys, whether your valley there or just one nearby, definitely talk with them and see see what's worked well for them because that's going to be your your biggest, like most useful information is going to come from there. Yeah. So the the property is a two acre property that sits on what was originally a thousand acre farm. It's now fifteen hundred acres, but we have access to the whole farm. Um, but the only property we actually own is the two acres there. Um, the reason I say that is because one of the owners of the farm is super, super old school. Um, like I grew up seeing him brain tanning hides and practicing with an atlatl, oh, wow. you know, and he flint naps. So he knows a ton about what any. He was born in this county, lived here his whole life. That's cool. Um, so he knows a ton about, like, West Virginia agriculture. Yeah. Um, in the old ways, they do, like, colonial reenactment. That's really cool. That's going to be a, a good wealth of information for you. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's, he's a ton. That's awesome. Um, typically, I guess... Now and when you're working on the area, about how much time per day or per week do you have to spend on the property doing, maintaining, managing, stuff like that? I mean, the week the weekends are, are pretty open right now. Um, the evenings, I and it's during hunting season now, so I'm not going to be doing too much down there. Mm-hmm. other than hunting. Um, but once the summer comes around, I'll have a decent amount of time. And it's where most of my energy would, would go anyway. Okay. So like how many how many hours a week would you would you guess? Sorry. Uh, I mean, five to ten at this point. Okay. That's a pretty good amount. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a partner, a, a friend who's moving down here, um, and we're going to try to convince my dad to let us set up our sawmill on the property. Oh, cool. Um, so if that happens, I'll be spending more, much more time down there. Yeah. And so will my friend. So I have two. It's not just one man hours, you know, multiplied by two. Good to know. Yeah, that helps a lot. Yep. Um, okay. Next up. What sort of things are you, what comes to mind when you think of this place? What sort of things, ideally, in in the best case, would you want to grow here? Like different sorts of annual crops, uh, like fruit trees, um, any sort of animals, like just your whole wish list for the, for the property. Yeah, so... I'm a big fan of food forests. Yeah. Um, and I would love to plant m- the majority of varieties of fruit trees, um, including pawpaws. And that property yeah, would sure. be amazing for pawpaws. Um, and the so pawpaws, fruit trees, nut trees. I'd really like to focus on nut trees. Um, right now, you know, for in the next, like, five years, I'd like to focus on perennials so that I can get them in and established. 
Um, and I've been trying to talk my dad into cutting down the sycamore trees because they're, I don't know if you have sycamore around you, but they are filthy, dirty trees. Um, hmm. They just rain down branches and leaves all year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so if, once I can get those cleared out, um, I'd have a lot more sun and more landscape to, to work with. Yeah. Because right now I'm limited because they, they're huge. I mean, they're gigantic. Yeah, and being in the valley, you kind of need any any additional anything that anything else that's blocking the sun that you can remove. It, you know, it's it's definitely at least worth considering whether the benefit that's providing is exceeding the sunlight hours it's taking away from you. Yep. Good to know. What about animals? Down there, I think probably the only thing I would want to mess with would be uh, meat chickens. Okay. Um, it's the, it's a limited space. So I would much rather focus on like the passive growing of plants than, Mm -hmm. you know, animals and then focus animals somewhere else. Like if we do find a, uh, um, a homestead. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. But this is also part of this is, uh, like during, during the lockdowns, we, we bugged out down there we came from pennsylvania for two months and uh lived at the cabin um so this is that's when i really started to get to thinking of how i can develop this property to be a bug out location Mm -hmm. but like a with just a self self self-reliant food forest yeah you know so if i needed to i could sustain my family you know indefinitely just with proper management, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think that's something that a lot of folks probably don't consider at first when they think of a bug out location. But if you get, you know, especially something like a food forest, if you get it off and roaring, um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be perennial systems like that, that are are slower to mature are not going to be as big of a boon in the first couple of years. But if you've got other food stores and other supplies ready as well, then having a mature food forest in you know five, six, seven years as something additional in the lo- in the area whenever you have to go there, that's a huge benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good on you, man. That's that's good looking out. Do you know offhand the USDA hardiness zone uh, for that property? I can find out really quick, or would that? Yeah, I'm checking it. I'm I'm looking on the map now. I don't remember okay. exactly where it's at. I'm not going to pull it up and risk uh, showing the world yeah, here. Yeah. But it seems that most of West Virginia is six A or six B. I I knew it was six or seven. I couldn't remember because state the numbers go up the farther north you go, right? The numbers go down the farther north you go. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's being really slow because i got too many things going at once here. We'll wait for it to load. Oh, that actually, maybe the... seven. Wow. Yeah, I knew it was six or seven, and being up in Pennsylvania, that was confusing me too. So. Yeah, it, it surprised me. I think we're just 
uh, 7B here in Columbia, um, which okay. is which is lows of, you know, lowest expected low of five degrees Fahrenheit. I would have expected <clears throat> you being three states further north there and in the mountains that it would get colder than that. Oh, it it gets cold. Um, I mean, the lowest I've had down up up down here, up here, wherever coming from. Um, <laughs> is negative 18. Okay, yeah, that's more like zone 5. Yeah, we had a polar vortex come through. Um, we, like Almost two years in a row, we had sub-zero temperatures. Okay. But negative 18 was the coldest. Wow. Absolutely frigid. Okay, I, I had zoomed in really aggressively, um... And I didn't know where it was taking me because nothing was actually loading. Or it was like some some little small town that I didn't recognize the name of in rural Virginia. Um, so coastal Virginia is unsurprisingly 7B. <laughs> but West Virginia is mostly 6A, 6B, which is typical winter lows of negative 10 or negative 5 degrees Fahrenheit. And there's a a decent chunk of 5A and 5B to the east. I guess kind of that choke point yeah. where it starts to get skinny. Yep. Um, yeah, the panhandle. Okay. I, I would have expected it was called a panhandle, but I didn't know uh, if there was some uh, local name that I was going to step on toes if I got it wrong. <laughs> we call it the Thumb. The Thumb, that's a good name too. Yeah, in Wheeling, the northern panhandle is the Finger. The middle finger. Okay. The West yeah. Virginia take like a, yeah, or you know, there you go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Mount Storm is out that way, and they have snow recorded every month of the year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not about that life. No. Beautiful area, but you got to be cut cut different to live up there. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to worry about looking into, uh, like, growing days for the area at this point, because I'm sure that you're familiar or know how to get familiar with the uh, first and last frost dates, things of that okay. nature, um, which, you know, don't come into play as much with a perennial system, um, but it's kind of a kind of serves as a gauge to how how long it'll take to mature versus maybe a more tropical area but even then not not really directly um it's, it's kind of just pertains more to uh to the annuals um, okay fair enough yeah i i tend to to put my stuff in early uh and risk the frost and just cover it you know because mm -hmm. typically may 1st i'll try to do stuff but like Pennsylvania, the last frost date was close to the end of May. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Our last... And, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, and then West Virginia, we had a frost in May 16th, I think. Wow. The first year we bought, when we bought a farm back in 2013, we closed on May like 14th or 15th, and then the next day there was a frost. Wow. Yeah, that's something that's going to really take some adjusting for me, moving back somewhat north. Excuse me. And the, 
the microclimates, I would love I'd love to hear your opinion on on those because that's you're the first person I've ever heard mention microclimates other than myself when it comes to West Virginia. Oh really? Because it's oh yeah, but I don't really talk to you know people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Makes it harder to hear stuff. But the yeah, but the you know so. We have vertical climate. I don't know if you're familiar with that terminology. Can you say it again? Vertical climate. It's as you go up. Okay. So down yeah, that in the makes valley sense. where our cabin is, it could be 15 degrees. But up on top of the hill, it's 30. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and that changes depending on the, the valley and, you know, what haulers, which way. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be tons and tons of different temperatures. And the valleys sit really cold. Um, and the moisture, they're very humid and, and uh, a lot of moisture in the in the valleys. Yeah. Yeah, I can believe it. They get they get cool and that cold air just stays down. Yep. Which it also attaches itself to a lot of the air pollution from the gas wells. So there are areas that you, you know, at night, you'll ride through, and it just reeks of gas. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. I would not have thought about that. But it makes sense. I mean, if the, if yeah, the, air, pretty... if the air is getting heavy and it's really humid, it's going to come down there. Yep. yep. Fair enough. Yeah, because most of that, most of the stuff that's leaking, it's, it's nasty stuff. I, there's a name for it. I can't remember, but um, it could just be methane coming out of an old well, or it could be something else, you know. But it hits you. Oh, yeah. I bet, I bet it would. Um, so looking at this little creek here running through the back, mm-hmm. um, we saw from the, the different uh, aerial photos, or, you know, whatever photos, um, that the creek has changed its course pretty pretty significantly between those two uh, whenever they were taken. Do you have mm-hmm. any direct interest in trying to maintain those banks of that creek? Do you want, would you be interested in putting in some sort of uh, trees or something like that along the bank to, to hold those edges? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the bank there, we have like three or four trees that are leaning at like a 55-degree angle. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Uh, over over the, the bank. And like the one's a black walnut and half of its root ball is exposed. Wow. Because um, when it floods, so that, that creek right there at the cabin, our cabin is... The, all of the water from that entire farm goes to that point. Mm-hmm. So it can flood all the way up into that field. It's gone underneath of, uh, I don't know if you can see the, the shed. There's a, the main cabin and then there's the shed. It has gone underneath the shed. Um, wow. So there there is a risk of flooding. Okay. But I've, I've also thought about building like a giant swale um i don't know if it would be called a swale at that point but 
just a berm, I guess, um, along the, the embankment. Um, I've seen people do that down here um, because mountainous areas are notorious for flooding. Sure. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, you're catching a lot of water and sending it to this little bitty creek. Tons. Yep. Yeah. My thought with the berm on the cabin side of that creek would just be let me think about how to say this um, you've got to have it high enough and for long enough that the opposite side of the stream can contain enough water volume not to go over that bank or wash it away for long enough for it to discharge. That makes sense. And our side is the low side. So that would be... I mean, I could make, build a, a gigantic Google mound. Yes, but uh, if you've listened to... Jack mentioned that on the Survival Podcast, Google mounds and vast quantities well, of water mind. do not mix well. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you'd want to have clay, but... Yeah, yeah, and, you know, potentially even uh, if you could find something more dense, uh, it'd probably be even better. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a thought. Yeah, no, um, I, I like I like the, the thinking there, because it's not something that I would have considered. Um, you've also got to think as well. Um, so, I guess one one point kind of in our favor here. The trees are all leaning right to left in this picture, which leads me to believe that water is typically coming from the right-hand side toward the left more than it's coming from the left to the right. So if you build this wall, you know, another potential concern would be that you're keeping the water in rather than out, but with the direction that the trees are wanting to lean... I would expect a greater amount of water is coming from the right, so you would be keeping it out. So when, when, what's your, when you're, like, so you're, where would you be standing? What perspective is right or left? Oh, can you see, uh, here, let me, let me no, share, not, let me share it through here. Here, my bad. I'll show you what I'm looking at. Can you see it? There we go. Ah, so yes. So what? What is your your thoughts? So my thoughts um, are that the because the trees are leaning to the left here, uh-huh. that water is more likely coming from the right to the left more often. That's what's led these trees to be pushed that direction. Because the the um, the mainstream comes from the left in this perspective. Like it's coming coming through this left. way. But right. As you can see there's a there's a small stream there. Mm-hmm. That that area that area is it's typically a dry stream, but it when it rains, it you know it fills up. Um, right, and that's prob- that whole area is super wet when it does, so that that would make sense. 
Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think but, I was very but clear, but I meant as the, as the water's coming in off the banks into the stream, it's coming more uh -huh. from... It looks like it's coming more so from right. this way than from this way. Yeah. Yeah. Because what happens is it floods and it hops over that embankment to the right side of the creek and then comes back to, okay. to the creek. Yeah. And so it's washing that whole area out as well. Um, we cut down a... You, you can probably see the stump in... Oops. You can see the stump in that picture. Um... Oh yeah, yeah. I thought that was I mean, part. Of, was, I thought that was part yeah. of the tree there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that was a massive sycamore, and we cut it down, and we threw the logs in the creek to keep it from washing out, and they are no longer there. So that's the power of water. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, these were gigantic, but it floated them, and they're gone. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you you see. Yeah, I've never really known how true it is, but like documentaries or whatever of of logging in the in the West, whenever it was for like the Western United States when they first went out there, and you'll see them um, just chop these trees down and toss them in the river to float to the, yeah. the sawmill or whatever. Yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy. But I imagine, can you imagine the pollution? <laughs> Just the uh, the sediment and silt that would have oh, dumped yeah. in the streams. Yeah, not a lot of fish making it. But you know that. that's what I'm. No, you know that's what I'm gonna be be doing now is logging. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. Yeah, I should start Monday. I've been splitting firewood for the logger, uh, or at the location, and um, getting him to not be able to ignore me because i really want to do it he's a friend of mine <laughs> okay but uh oh, it said the stream has ended yeah i i dropped it out because i didn't know if we were still uh checking it out so i'd taken the load off my okay, computer there. we're back now um but yeah so i've been splitting firewood all all week um and gonna start doing that so i'm gonna have access to a lot of wood um for all kinds of stuff, and I, I'd like to, I'd like to get an industrial wood chipper. Oh wow! Um, because the the potential for carbon um, sequestration there would be awesome, and it would really help with just overall. I mean, you know how wood chips, how good wood chips are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with as cold as you get, just to have that additional insulation around everything. It's going to be really handy for those tender roots of new trees and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm trying to think of where to go next. What I other... guess what what kind of what kind of annuals um, fit well in the, the permaculture setting? Like in a food forest? Oh, man, anything. Honestly. Yeah. Just find things that are agreeable to the the I'm trying to think of the right word for it the the more focal point perennials that you're wanting to grow. Um, yeah. So you know if you've got I'm trying to give an example something that really wants nitrogen probably don't plant a bunch of 
corn around it, something like that, you know. Right. Um, but I mean, permaculture is is a it's not a, a list of techniques or plants or whatever, you know. It's right. just using using things in an appropriate way to benefit you, your children, the earth, and do something with all the outputs. Mm-hmm. I just, I say it's just being intentional with the land and replicating nature. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an even simpler yeah, way to put it. And, um, it's just, it's just crazy how much land is wasted. Um, our, our neighbor there has a, a huge herd of Angus cattle, very, very good, uh, bloodline. And, she just lets them graze wide open all the time. And I just, her entire property line is fenced in really nice. And I'm like, it, for a hundred bucks, you could start doing rotational grazing on that, on that track of land. Mm-hmm. You know, like a hundred bucks for the fencing and then whatever the charger would cost. But it's, it's not that much fencing because you just run a single strand across the field. You know, you yeah, could, you could produce so much more out of that those fields, um, but not my property. So, yeah, I think I think people just don't think about it like that, you know. Like I've I've got family that are that are ranchers as well. Um, I don't know, so they they do rodeos and stuff, and they seem to be. I think they're basically just rodeo cows. Um, like I, I don't think they eat them. I don't know what people do with them, other than throw a lasso around them. But they all just open grazing. Too mean, they start to eat them. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, but they just open graze as well, and you know it. It's turning more into a desert than a a meadow around their place. Yeah, it's awful. It's crazy. It's wild. That's why we're here to set a better example. So what are you, what do you think for, um, are you familiar with the pawpaws? I am vaguely familiar. Okay. I've tried paw. I think I've tried pawpaws. Yeah, I yeah, think, that, like I think the guy at the look. Very that, unique flavor. Uh, I don't know that I've caught him right. I may not have. I've heard I've heard bits about pawpaws. I know that they're basically the the mid Atlantic's tropical fruit. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's a big, it's a North America's largest fruit. I did not realize um, they were large. Yeah, and they're native, so uh, they, they've been here. They're they're a very old tree that allegedly evolved alongside the. Uh, the woolly mammoth. Um, and during the last ice age, they would huh. have came came along with the woolly mammoth because the woolly mammoths would have eaten them, and their seeds would have been planted as you know the mammoth did his thing. Yeah. Uh, the same the same with Osage orange. If you're familiar with that tree. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think so, but I'm not I'm not sure about that. 
but I 100% know about pawpaws um, because they're very difficult to germinate. Uh, huh. And their pollinators are very difficult because they're carrying uh, insects. So, you know, you could throw like a dead animal and it would bring in flies or beetles um, and then those would pollinate the pawpaw. How strange. Okay. Yeah. So how have they made so it this long? Uh, very, so they, they sucker. Um, okay. So a lot of the pawpaw groves that you see, you'll see, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of plants. And maybe one or two tr- are, of the trees will produce fruit um, because the rest are suckers. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So it's, it's basically just, just they, they want to get more sun. So they, yeah. you know, shoot up suckers. Yeah. Um, Little power and, plants. Yep. And they're absolutely gorgeous plants. Uh, they're they're very they're not a very tall tree, and they, they enjoy the understory. Um, they can grow in full sun, but they like being in the understory. Yeah. And they also they you'll find them in riparian areas, but the, they really like it. They don't like it too wet, but they don't like it bone dry. So they'll be like right before you get to the, the super wet areas. Okay. Um, and that, that valley, especially that property, is very wet in certain areas. Um, but my dad has, hasn't really done anything to uh, remediate anything there. Like, he'll, he mows all the leaves in the, in the creek. <laughs> you know, so he doesn't, like, there's so many leaves. And I'm like, just collect them and put them in a pile. So yeah. Break down, and in five years it'll be an amazing compost pile. Yeah. And, uh, he just mows them into the creek. Man. He's a boomer. <laughs> yep. Not really thinking much about it, just taking the easy path. Yep. But I'm here now, so. That's right. Okay. Hmm. I'm thinking. Let me find the overhead picture Desktop. yeah there we go okay that's nice and grainy <laughs> Okay. I think that's actually less help than seeing it from the ground. Yeah, I like this what, picture. What, here. Do you have a question, or? Uh, I was just trying to see what was coming to mind. I'm looking at this one here. Okay. So I see in the foreground, like right in front of whoever's taking the picture seems to be a bit of a local high spot um, with there by the, the, is that propane tank? Propane tank. Is the, is the low point reasonably within here. So those are just going to be good, good things to consider when putting in plantings for the area. Just, you know, obviously the, the higher up's going to stay a bit drier, the lower down's going to, 
remain a bit wetter. So choosing appropriate plants for each area. Um, I mean, you've got, it is nice to see that there is um, a reasonably big open for being in the mountain valley area that could be worked with. Um, you know, there, there's space for trees there. And, you know, obviously at, at one point there probably had been trees there before, which kind of makes it a good sign that there, it'd be a good place for trees, right? Yeah. Um, and I, right behind the propane tank is an apple tree that we planted. Okay. We, we had planted a ton of, um, a ton of fruit trees. I think a couple pears and a bunch of apples, and that's the only apple that made it. Oh, um, man, okay. It really needs to be, uh, he, my dad's never, he's just neglected it. So that's why all the trees have died, uh, just from neglect. Um, you know, no, no intervention. So if mm -hmm. something did start to die, you know, he didn't try to fix it, or then the deer wreaked havoc. Um, gotcha. And I'd actually just, planted uh comfrey i i had i brought a bunch of comfrey cuttings down from pennsylvania oh there and, you go yeah i planted some there two years ago and it's barely taking off but my dad mows it down <laughs> um, yeah that'll hinder it long story um but the i planted it all around the propane tank in the apple tree um just to get some started good call yeah i know i'm definitely bringing some of our some cuttings from our country we've grown here with us to yeah. indianapolis that's definitely gonna be one of the first things that i put in um and this if I, I was just gonna say if I'm, if I'm unsure of where to put it i've already had success with just putting it in a little terracotta pot that's got a drainage hole at the bottom it'll quickly grow roots through the full pot and then start to root out into the ground wherever it's set. Then you just move it after a few yep. months or whatever, and it'll rip some root out and leave it behind. So I've got two or three different patches of comfrey just in the last 18 months since we first planted it that are as big as nice. the initial patch just because I was moving this little pot around. Yeah, you have to also be careful you don't want it to plant. <laughs> I, I had I put mine in pots, and uh, it, thankfully it didn't break out. Uh, it did bust one of the one of the plastic, you know, oh, cheap, wow. cheapo pots. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, it was. I mean, I kept an eye on it, made sure it was on asphalt or something. <laughs> so I don't something where it's not going to take hold. Mine. Yeah. 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 But uh, the. Part, one of my plans is to so the comfrey that I have actually came from a permaculture garden a huge massive one up in Lebanon County Pennsylvania because um, I was I was driving by one one day and I looked over and I'm like that's this property is all overgrown they have these huge deer fences and I drove past and I'm like I think they're doing permaculture like I just moved up there, um, and sure enough, it was uh, he was a permaculture designer, um, and he built this this entire property, 
and the township tried to have him fine him and all kinds of stuff for oh, overgrown geez. grass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they fought tooth and nail. Um, it's a retired police officer who drives around, and he's a busybody, and he sees violations, and he reports them to the township. Oh, lovely. What so, a hero. Yeah, I know. And uh, so they got the entire property zoned a garden. Um, and the municipality left them alone. But, long story short, that's where this country came from. He just gave me one tiny little cutting. You know, stuck the sh- I was like, hey, can I have some? And he stuck the shovel in the ground and gave me some cuttings. And it's moved with me, like, to four different properties. Oh, yeah, that's um, awesome. Just every property that I've been to has an endless supply of comfort. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's cool. You leave a little uh, mark everywhere you go. But, yeah. But I want to take I take a bunch of this up into the woods at, at our cabin property and just till it into the soil. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Just have a huge country patch to go, go, you know, harvest from. Yeah, have a back a backup supply. Yep. I guess on on that topic, um, have you explored? You, uh, there's obviously a lot of woods around. Have you explored any sort of uh, local forage around the cabin property? We have morels growing. Oh yeah. I I picked I picked a morel about. 50 feet from the cabin during the lockdown. Um, it was pretty awesome. But oh, yeah. we have a good amount. That whole forest is oak and and poplar for the most part. But tons okay. and tons of oak. So there are tons of acorns um, to, you know, to forage. And But acorns are a, a ton of work. Yeah. And I figured I should I would try black walnuts instead because there it's a lot less work and you don't have to blanch them and or not blanch them. Is it blanching? For I don't acorns? know. I've not messed with acorns. Yeah, you have to you have to rinse the the uh, uh, the sulfites or whatever sulfates. I can't remember. Something's in it that you have to rinse out. Um, okay. So I went out looking for black walnuts. I can't find them anywhere. Like I, th- even the black pulp is is non-existent. The squirrels have just devastated them. Huh. Everywhere I try to, because normally it's, I mean it's it's raining down black walnuts. Yeah. Or you're like walking through grass and rolling your ankles. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, there. There's a lot of nut nuts to to forage, but also mushrooms. Um, there is an unknown, I don't know where the, the location is, but my buddy I was telling you about, the, the old, old timer on that mm-hmm. property planted a patch of ginseng like 30 or 20 years ago when they bought the property. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, he won't tell me where it is, but, um, <laughs> it was one of those, he had a couple plants and he planted them up in the woods with his daughter and said in, you know, 30, 40 years, you'll have a harvest. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is ginseng an Appalachian native, or, is, or am I thinking of ginger? Uh, I mean, ginseng's pretty big in Appalachia. Okay. I don't know. Ginger, I, ginger seems like it would be from uh, Asia. 
Yeah, I thought one of them was tropical and one of them was Appalachian native. I couldn't remember which was which. I would imagine ginseng's native. Okay. Yeah, ginger looks a lot more tropical when you have when you see the leaves above ground. Yeah, and their tubers. Well, so is ginseng, but like right, <laughs> it's a much different type of tuber. Gotcha. Okay. Or rhizome, I guess they're not necessarily tubers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is do you think your your buddy would end up in any trouble trying to harvest his own ginseng from the mountains? No, uh, I mean we have a, a ginseng season. It starts September first. Okay. Um, and as long as you you harvest it sustainably, um, you know, there's not an issue. But it's worth a pretty penny. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. I'm glad there's some sense to the the rules around that. I it had been my understanding, almost entirely ignorantly, that it was uh, like heavily protected. I know that's the way that they treat, uh, like, pitcher plants and fly traps out here in Carolina. Uh, uh, okay. It, yeah, it's a big no-no to go and take those from the wild. Now, what are, are you talking, like, the orchids, or what? Like, just, like carnivorous bog plants. Okay, yeah, we just don't have those, so. I, you, get I some, <laughs> you get some, you get some, uh pitcher plants in the mountains but they're not they're not okay. as common because they really like wet feet they get all of their they yeah they just they, they like a kind of a boggy environment okay yeah I, I i wouldn't have thought it myself um because i think like lowlands when i think bogs uh, but my brother had a had a friend that would like go into the mountains and and look for pitcher plants and and take them home which is a big no-no. Huh. Yeah. No, no they, they, uh, you, you can harvest the ginseng as long as it's in season. And that's just to make sure it doesn't die out. Right. You know? Just like when it's dormant or something. Yeah. That makes sense. That's good. Hey. Government figured out how to not completely fuck something up. They do, they do decently well with conservancy. Like conservate, like and like um, hunting and fishing. I'm not a big fan of the the licensing, but West Virginia, like if you own land, you don't need a license to hunt on that land. That's nice. Um, yeah, there are. You know, that's not legal advice, but there. It's, <laughs> uh, I don't know exactly what. Like, if you still have to have a doe permit or not, I can't remember. But but yeah, like you, you're entitled to hunt on your own property. Without a license. Yeah, that's nice. I don't think that's the way Illinois was. It's basically like I've seen some of the guys say in the in the chat that basically the the way the laws are written, the government owns every animal, and you get to ask permission whether you can have one of their animals. Yeah, I mean that's still not wrong. <laughs> uh, the, uh, but uh, yeah, because the state the state claims to own the natural resources. Yeah. So, which is a big issue with water. Um, Cody yeah. was was t- telling me the one time about fencing. Has he talked to you about fencing? He has not. So fencing out the riparian areas is a federal 
it's like coming down from on top. So they're they're telling the state that they have to fence off their if you have livestock that you have to fence off your riparian areas, which is good. You know that I I wouldn't keep my cattle in my creek, um, but you know to make everybody do that is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's aggressive for a for a federal regulation. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that seems like common sense that you don't want your your cow shit in your drinking water. Yeah, <laughs> you, it's uh, there are some some neglectful people out there. Sure. Which it's one of those things like you don't mess up the waterways. Like <laughs> they're pretty important. Yeah. Yeah, water is life. You know, if you're, even if it's your own property, like that crap runs downstream. Right. Yep. Shit runs downstream. That's for sure. Yep. <laughs> do you know? Do you know if there's uh, <clears throat> any sort of uh, trying to think of the right word, like allowance for if if you own both sides of the stream, allowing animals to be able to to pass through the stream from one pasture to the next, or does it get even to that level? You know what? I'm not sure. There, there's probably something. Um, because our, our property, our farm we had back in 2015, it was split in the middle with the creek, and it wasn't fenced off. The cows just came and went and drank out of it. Yeah. Um, but the, well, not the cows, uh I had it fenced off, and the cows were in the upper pasture, um, and like my animals never never went into the creek. Um, but occasionally the cows would come down and drink, but they weren't living in it either, because um, they had water up on the hill. Yeah, it was just whenever they kind of moseyed on over, curious. Gotcha. Yeah, I know my my family that ranches. They've got. Uh a little stream that runs through one of their pastures. And I, I feel like I can remember, and this may not be a real memory, um, but the cows going through it, excuse me, from one side to the other when I was younger. Excuse me. But the last time that I saw it, um, you know, it's just eroded away so much and gotten to be like cliff faces on each side just because it's not well managed on yeah, the banks. Yeah, high, ba- high bank. Yeah, you, I mean, you... A cow trying to go down there would break an ankle. Yeah. It's kind of its own fence at this point. Yeah, the, the embankment at the, at the cabin is... I mean, there are some spots in there that the bottom of the creek is over my head. Um, oh, wow. And then if I were, if I were standing on the water, I, I wouldn't be able to see out of the creek. It's that deep in some areas. Um does that make sense? So it's like yeah. 16 feet down, uh, uh, you know, or 12 to 15 feet deep from the, the bottom of the creek to the top of the bank. Um, so there's there's some volume in there. Wow. I wouldn't have thought that from looking at the pictures here. It doesn't, it doesn't, I guess yeah, I'll have is, to shoot some more pics. Is that the, the creek that actually runs right behind the cabin or the, the waterway that it joins up with? Uh, the main, the main waterway, the main creek, not the, not the semi-dry one. 
Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Wow, okay. So, yeah, property, he's ready to move some water. And what, what I would like to do with that that entire property is... My, my dad does not have a very good relationship with the, the two brothers who own the farm. And then the third owner is my the guy that I was telling you about. Um, I'd like to smooth things over with them so that I could have access to the field beside it um, and even maybe one day run hogs up in the up in the forest because it's oh, 1,500 yeah. acres. And the only thing they do is, is hunt. So that's, you know, from September to December. Wow. They don't do anything else up there. Yeah, yeah, that's... That's a good opportunity. I mean, that might be your your best use of energy in the property. I mean, hell, being able to run some pigs and they've got all the nuts they could ever eat. Yep. That's that's pretty straightforward there. Yep. Yeah, it would be uh, it would be neat if I could you know live down there. I'd really like to to find property not far from there. just be able to go over and manage it as needed yeah yeah Yeah. because right now i'm i'm a 19 mile bike ride away um on my e-bike and i can hop on the rail trail and run 15 miles of that on the rail trail and only spend like four miles on the the asphalt to get to the cabin oh wow essentially it's you know it takes a little bit longer but i'm i'm driving for free because if i drive my truck it's you know, ten dollars a minimum round trip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and a blown tire on occasion. Oh yeah. That <laughs> yeah, that's not a good way to spend the day. On that same topic, it's a surprise that my wife didn't end up in a similar situation. Um, she'd been, she'd gone back to Illinois to visit family a week or so ago, and just got back this past weekend, uh, and I drove her car. We went out and did some errands, and it was shaking worse than I've ever mm. felt a car shake before. Like if you if you were to let go of the wheel for just a second, you're gonna you're gonna hit the guardrail. Yeah. To that level, um, so we got it over to the mechanic today, and he was like, "Yeah, these these tires are to the point that they're separating. <laughs> like uh, you're gonna need some new tires." Uh, the you mean the the the, the bands? Yeah. Yeah, we we blew two on our Subaru. We blew one when we were on vacation in North Carolina. I crossed the Virginia line and got gas, and I started to drive away, and it was blah 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 blah. And uh, I was like, "Holy cow!" We were coming back from vacation, so we had everything, you know, everything in the back of this car. Oh yeah. I had to pull it all out and change the, t- the tire on the side of the road. And then we had another one do that on our trip moving here to West Virginia. Good grief. So I had to get all four tires replaced on the Subaru. Man. And now I have to do all four of mine. Um, but I got a good deal, so I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Find some silver lining in it. Yeah. Man, I think you've got a really cool spot here. Um especially if you can if you can work things out with the 
the landowners around you, um, and it could be a, a really nice opportunity. Even just with the the little parcel here, you, know, you could easily put in uh, a food forest. Even even kind of just following this this little ridge line around the cabin, mm-hmm. um, just kind of that C shape as a as That's a starting right, yeah. point. Um, find two, three, four. I, I can't really get a, a sense for scale with what we're looking at here, but two, three, four, like overstory trees that are going to be your your big pillars um, and kind of build guilds around them. So utilizing mm-hmm. you know, the, the seven layers of the forest, overstory, understory, shrub layer, ground covers, root crops, vines, and herbs. Just kind of find somebody to mm-hmm. fill each of those roles in a in a guild kind of around that focal tree just what would be a vine kiwi like what kiwi could be a vine kiwi? yeah i think okay. kiwi's kiwi i believe i think it's arctic kiwi like it's quite cold hardy we tried to grow yeah. it here but we didn't give it enough attention and it died as things do when you don't give them enough attention yeah <laughs> um now, i mean tomatoes are like indeterminate tomatoes are considered a vine yeah but yeah i mean they would they would they would fill that they would fill that role in a food forest and they would crowd out other vines trying to come in if if, like as they're established obviously in the off season when your tomatoes are dead they're going to have pressure for some other vine to want to come in you know maybe some sort of an ivy or something those are always very opportunistic and trying to fill in the gaps um but yeah an an indeterminate tomato would definitely fill the same role because you could plant like sweet 100s every you know every so often and they they sell speed like crazy yeah there you go you know stuff like that borage that sells seeds um i Annual, I don't, I don't care too much for annuals. Other than, I mean, it's kind of what our entire diet's based on. <laughs> um, you know, because we're just so short, short-sighted. Yeah. Um, when it comes to gardening, um, I really like to focus on the perennials because you can change. You know, one year the annuals might not work, and you'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll try something else next year. But like to get your berries established in your nut trees and your fruit trees, um, you know, that's. And that's going to be the most money anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do my best to just go out into the woods and, you know, pick oak oak trees that are sprouting or it's something like that. Um, find a, a chestnut tree and get some of the chestnuts and plant them. Yeah. Um, so that way I'm picking plants and trees from the property that have thrived there, you know, that appear to be able to survive in that environment. Right. Um, and, you know, and I think there are a couple apple trees and pear trees on the property as well, like the, the major farm um, that I could probably go up to and harvest some, some apples and plant some seeds from those. Um, nice. But, you know, that's just to save money, but then I can buy some from a nursery if I wanted something special. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the closer 
that you can find stock to the property it's going on, the better adapted it's going to be, obviously. And, and you know, obvi obvious caveat being in the mountains as you are, that something on the north side of the mountain is not going to thrive the, the same way on the south side of the mountain. Right. But, you know, the closest you can get to the particulars of your area, you know, where, where in Nebraska, maybe <laughs> something in eastern Nebraska is going to work just as well in western because it's just a flat plain. You know, you've you've got to get even more particular to your area to really find what's going to thrive. Yeah. And, and a note on, like, foraging and microclimates, I didn't. I never noticed the how many microclimates there were until I foraged down at the cabin. Um, because early in the season, you know, you hit up south facing. Depending on what you're looking for, uh, like mm -hmm. for morels, it's, they start on the south facing uh, um, hills first, and then later in the season they'll be on the north side. So, <clears throat> I was looking for ramps, and I was I went down on the south side of the the hill, and even though I'm on the south side, it can go from south side to north side, like at a in like fifty feet, because of how how the ridges run and how the the that the the you know I I don't know what to call them the haulers, uh, just tiny little haulers in the in the mountains. Yeah. Um, can turn you completely 360. So mm -hmm. you were south facing, you know, or 180. Now you're north facing, or east or west, uh, all in a small amount of small amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, I can believe it. I can believe it. Especially you find find different saddle points. Um, so it's kind of a, a peak going this way, but it's a valley going this way. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's a really good good uh, kind of thought. I should probably put a uh, a list of trees that I can find locally, just from going up into the woods and getting seeds. That's probably going to be a good place to start, even if you don't necessarily start with that stock. Um, yeah. Just having a good census of what's growing well in the area is going to be you know kind of the obvious place to start, and of course. You can experiment with whatever you like from there. If if you don't like, you know, oak, acorns from oak trees, by all means, don't don't grow them. Cause you're not going to use right. you're not going to use the product that they create. You need to find mm -hmm. something similar that that likes similar conditions to replace and grow in its stead. Um, yeah. And then there's always space to be able to experiment, try something funky, and see see how it works out something you really like that might not quite you know isn't likely to to quite work in your area give it a shot and give it some extra love and see what happens yep like we have uh, we have a good amount of banana trees growing around here um i think people just grow them as ornamentals yeah um i had i had several and actually my dad threw a hand of bananas away out into, just out into the field there. And we had just moved back from Costa Rica and we were sitting on the porch and I said, dad, I think those are bananas. He said, no, they're not bananas. I was like, dad, I, I know what a banana looks like. I just moved <laughs> back from the rainforest. Like 
those are bananas. And sure enough, they were from where he threw the bananas out there. That's some, crazy. Some, like, I wouldn't have thought that they would have grown from, you know, store-bought bananas. Uh, I wouldn't but, have either. But sure enough, yeah. I didn't realize that Yeah, there were like three, bananas there had, three or four seeds. plants that, that sprouted up. Huh. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought store-bought bananas had seeds. I've never noticed a seed in a banana. You know where they are? Are they at the end? The end no, opposite from where you peel? No, so you if you take the banana and you know you know how they're you can split them in three pieces? Banana? The banana itself? No, I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> it's, getting a, it's getting a little phallic here. Uh, so you, you take the tip of the banana and you stick your finger in it and okay. it'll, it'll separate into three wedges. Huh. Yep, and uh, so you get out three three pieces, and in those seams is where the seeds are. So the seeds run the entire length of the banana. Wow. Yep. I never knew. Wow. So yeah, next time you see a banana, push your finger in the tip, and it'll open up. <laughs> and the seeds will come out. It's very phallic. <laughs> Everything is, is phallic in the end. Um, wow, yeah. I did not realize the banana was... In three pieces, um, that has blown my mind. But that's you know one of my one of my dreams is to have greenhouses where I can grow bananas in West Virginia. That would be cool. Um, yeah, you and, have to supply a lot of heat. <laughs> yep, a lot of heat. But I mean, it's through so you know I have three massive solar water heaters that I got for for cheap. That mm-hmm. were used. Um, so between between something like that, I mean, heck, burning wood. You know, I'm going to be a uh, a logger. I'll have access to a lot of wood. Yeah. Um, you know, building a rocket mast stove in there in a yep. greenhouse would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of potential. There's so much potential in. The energy here from the the millennials, because um, West Virginia has a very it has a very aging population, and the a lot of the young people have left the state, but the the young people who have stayed behind have just moved out of the rural areas and into the cities, or uh, they're not really cities, but they're. To me, they're cities, um, just hubs, of, community hubs, where they're building developments and stuff like that. Okay. Um, it's it's kind of disgusting to see them, where you know, tear tear off an entire mountain just to put houses on it. Oh man! Um, yeah. So people can live like animals, you know. Yeah. Cage in cages, um, but the problem with that is there aren't a lot of young people, a lot of young producers. Uh, in the area, They're, they all work for corporations, or you know, because um, this area is heavily oil and gas. It's a huge oil and gas area. Um, like that cabin, that farm has. I think that farm has only has one Marcellus well on it, um, or one Marcellus pad. They have four wells on a pad, um, 
but all around it are pipelines and uh, Marcellus wells. Oh wow! So every everybody that I grew up with uh, who didn't die of overdose, and I say that seriously and somewhat humorously, yeah, um, I lost lost a lot of friends, um, and you know they they've all gone to work for oil and gas, so they're slaves to the industry. Um, so you know they work. 60, 70 hours a week, up to 100 hours a week, depending yeah, on what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so they've taken all the producers. You know, there's no, there's hardly any young producer type people who are like, I want to be an entrepreneur and do my own thing. Right. Um, all the old timers who had all the skills, they're all dying. You know, and the the youth has just left. So I I really want to to bring in young millennial age, you know, millennial and younger mm-hmm. um, producer type people um, into the area because land is cheap. There are hardly any taxes. Um, and like our town here, we have three cops. You know, so there's there's really nothing going on. Yeah, that's good. It sound, sounds like are you familiar at all with uh, Paul Wheaton's Skip program? No. Um, well, so, so it's it's is that ba- his pro is that his program or one of his programs? One of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it it seems basically tailor made for the area you're talking about, and it it was kind of it. I mean, it was intentionally made for similar situations. Um, basically. Uh, Paul, over the years, had had many aging farmers or, you know, gardeners, whatever, people with land that had had become something from nothing that were aging and couldn't find someone worth a shit to hand it to for free when they died. And so Paul was like, I've got a bunch of people that I know are learning to do all sorts of cool shit, so let's make this into a particular program where you learn, you, you, you've got all these potential skills that somebody who's wanting to, who's got property that wants to see it off into, into good hands when they're gone, might want the future owner to have. So if you can demonstrate that you've got all these skills, we'll put you in contact with some old fart that's got an amazing property that they're willing to just hand off to somebody that's worth a shit because they literally can't find somebody worth a shit. What was that called? Skip skills to inherit property. Huh. I've not, uh, I don't know if I've heard that one. I know, I mean, that's kind of similar to Joel Salatin's whole thing is go find a scrubland or a farmer who's, who's aging. Yeah. Work for him for free for a few years. You'll probably own the whole place when he's done. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing with our bus. You know, if we if we don't find property right away, but I, I'd like to be able to find property to have a base. Um, but the the original idea for living out of the bus was to just find different friends who have farms and family farms and kind of move around in the area uh, and help with different projects. You know, in exchange for you know parking the bus there. 
that's a really um, cool idea. And we have, because we have, with the oil and gas, we have RV spots everywhere. Everybody and their sister put an RV spot in their in their backyard because oil and gas companies would pay for their, you know, their welders and their inspectors to, to bring their fifth wheels up and, and live out of them. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so everybody put in RV spots. And now that the, the drilling has gone down, um, we don't have as much, you know, traveling people. Gotcha. So a lot of vac- a lot of vacant flat spots with RV hookups. Nice. It's a prime opportunity for someone with a need for RV hookups to be able to come through. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to have a start a base of action around here um, and kind of rejuvenate. I really don't want to get involved politically, um, but if somebody's telling me I can't do something, I will. So. There you go. That's my whole thing. I I, I, move, I want to move down here and just freaking get away from all this um, tyrannical garbage. Um, I was thinking the other day, I don't know what it was like down by you, but up, up in our area it wasn't horrible, but I was working in the union, and it's like COVID has like a level of PTSD to it. Yeah. Because it was pretty, yeah. tra- pretty traumatic. Like they shut our entire livelihood down um, and then othered me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, that's pretty, it's pretty traumatic, and I'm very happy to be down down in normal normal life. Yeah, I can imagine. It, it, it did never get too aggressive here, but there were definitely moments um, with particular individuals that are still kind of seared in my head, like the, just... Yeah. Like, people that had the gall to, to say and do the things that they said and did... Um, and I, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not a large intimidating person, but compared to the people that were empowered by all this bullshit, you know, I was, I was mm-hmm. twice their size and they, they, yeah. they felt the compulsion to, to, you know, tell, tell me what, what I should be doing. Um, that power, man, power is. That's what this whole thing was. Power. Yeah. Yeah. Helpless G- people who have never had power before in their lives finally have power and they reined it down. Yeah. Jack had a, a segment on the Expert Council show on the Survival Podcast last week talking about um, you know, are, are weak men dangerous? And basically it boiled down to weak men are dangerous when they're given authority. And that was mm. that was basically the entirety of the COVID drama. Yeah. Yeah, because if you, you know you look at the the main doctor science, you know he he clearly is a small dog complex. Yeah. 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 And it's and like the governor of Pennsylvania is a small dog complex kind of guy. Uh, they're just yeah, it was wild, but West Virginia wasn't horrible. Like they, it's one of those culture, pre, you know, comes before politics, and the culture here wasn't having any of it. Yeah, I mean it's mountain you know, men. You, you had, yeah, man, and like, I went. I'm gonna start working with my logger buddy, and he is. He's six seven, <laughs> three hundred and fifty pounds. 
He yeah. was West Virginia's strongest man at one point uh, at 380. Lean. Jeez. Yeah. So, and his his younger brother is even bigger. Wow. Um, yeah, so, like, that's the type of people that live out here. And you're, you're not going to tell them... You're not going to tell them not to work. Yeah, you're not going to tell them which aisle to walk down. <laughs> yeah, and which way, yeah, that was... Oh, my goodness. Uh, and they're just going to let it all... They're just going to pretend like it never happened. Yep. Yeah, it's a wild world out there. Well, I'm moving to the mountains. <laughs> it's hard to blame you. It's hard to blame you. I've had I've had friends uh, from the union say, you know, a few years ago I would have said you were crazy, but but now I, it makes sense. I kind of I kind of like what you do. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm going to butcher the quote now, but it's 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 not a sign of health to be well adjusted to a maladjusted world. What is that quote? I've got it fucked up, and now I'm going to have to look it up. I get the gist. I, I understand that it's not... Go ahead and look it up. Yep, I'm going to look it up, because I, I, I know that I've, I've got, I've got the, the heart of it here, but not the exact words. Hopefully it can pick up on what I'm trying to say. If it's brave, it won't. <laughs> it is brave. It's pre-search. See what it does. It's it's crazy how good Google is. Yeah, it's it's upsetting. Okay, here we go. It actually did yeah. find it. It's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And who said that? Jidu. Uh, Krishnamurti. Oh. Uh, uh, Harry Krishna? <laughs> no. Is he, is he Harry Krishna kind of guy? I'm not sure who that is. Are you from a, okay, sorry. They, they're a... <laughs> they're a um, like a... Not a... What are they? They're like monks. Okay. Har, Hari Krishna. Harry Krishna. I, I'm saying an Appalachian. Hari Krishna. <laughs> yeah. So we have in Moundsville, West Virginia, we have a temple, um, and the Hare Krishnas are the ones, I think they they walk around beating drums and singing, like Hare Krishna is the is like the prayer that they have to repeat over and over and over. Okay. Um, so, so it's kind of monastic, of kind of, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to misrepresent them. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of I've never heard of them before. Hari, you never heard? Surprised, because they what would they be? They would be like <clears throat> new agey. New agey, mystic. I don't want to misrepresent them, so. Yeah, almost like a some sort of western spin-off of Buddhism, it seems. There you go. Boot, yeah, very boot, Buddhistic. Interesting, but they're very out of place in West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, it would it would surprise me to to see 
I guess any 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 sort of monk in a robe in West Virginia. Yeah, I was working for a, a public service department not too far from there, and uh, the the one director was telling me about some of the people on like in his um, jurisdiction or whatever who live out who live out in the middle of nowhere. And the Hare Krishnas would come up when they first moved in, because I don't know if they were like if they would evangelize or or whatever, um, but they would like march and beating little drums out these hollers. Huh. <laughs> like, it's like yeah, don't go out there. Like they're even if you are harmless, people don't understand. These people don't understand. Yeah, you're just a weird looking dude with a <laughs> drum, you know. It's like. Yeah. Stereotypical, not, like, backwoods West Virginian does not care for that. Yeah, not likely to find friends in this neck of the woods. No. <sighs> well, Patrick, I think we've gotten far enough into left field that that might be a good place to wrap for the night. Sounds good, man. <laughs> you, got me, you got me some things to think about, and uh, I can get the... When I go back down there... I was supposed to go down there tonight, but I didn't. Um, and kind of apply some of the things that you mentioned and take a look at, you know, how much sunlight is. I, I you know, pay attention to the sun, sunrise and sunsets over the, um, over the term of a year, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. how much sun I get. Yeah. I think it'd be good to, to keep an eye on and, and see, see the way the water runs into that Creek whenever you get a good rain, um, just to kind of be able to adjust appropriately and be able to stabilize those banks so you don't end up with the left bank of, you know, left according to that picture, left bank up yeah. against the cabin at some point because it's just that's eroded right. for so long. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's, we we are concerned that we'll lose that that prop, part of the property. Yeah. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's a possibility with with no trees there to stabilize you just got the the grasses with their very shallow roots it's it's not doing a the best of bank stabilization yep well cool do you want to tell the the fine listeners where they can catch up with you if they want to i saw a a new instagram handle had followed me whenever you were searching for me yeah so i i recently got into uh e-bikes and I started the Appalachian e-bike brigade. Um, so I let me verify the yeah Appalachian e-bike brigade. Um, and I've just been posting some some of my out about doings on my e-bike, and I want to evolve it into a little bit more you know tactical and survival stuff as well. Cool. And what's the what's the latest on the schoolie? How's she doing? She's doing well. I have to go get her. She's up in Pennsylvania. Um, we moved down to West Virginia and kind of got settled in. Um, so we're renting a place with my mother. Um, she can live here while we live in the bus. But it's a big house, so we're living here until we find property. Okay. Um, so once once the bus gets you know once I get up there and bring the bus down. I'll, I'll start 
taking more pictures of my progress because I kind of put it on hold to get us all moved down here. Because um, I wanted to be down here before uh, a possible starvation winter. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Every, <laughs> the past two winters, I've been like, I think, I think this is the, the winter we're going to starve to death. <laughs> but no, it's looking like that for Europe, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. It's a good thing to be wrong about, though. Just keep predicting it and keep oh, being wrong. I hope. Yeah. It's like none of this I want to be right about, but it's so far been pretty right. Yeah, it's look it's looking nasty this year. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that somber note, uh, check out the show notes. I will have Patrick's newest Instagram down there, as well as my itty bitty link. Feel free to check it out. Leave a tip if you like and utilize Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. I will also have a link to Paul Wheaton's skip program in the show notes in case you are a person that is worth a shit that would like to prove it with skills to inherit property from an older fella or lady that is looking to pass it along. So, until next time, peace and love. <laughs>